Welcome to Wa Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is titled Food, Food of, of the, the Gods. Gods. And it all began when we were sent this question by one of our listeners by the name of Drew. All right. Australian Cadbury's is balls. I've said it. It's bitterly disappointing overpriced, and yet it's wildly popular. Why? I, I genuinely don't understand the appeal. Cadbury's in the UK is mediocre at best, and yet Australia gets this much worse tasting version of it. It, it should be labelled differently here. It really should. It tastes that different. If Big Macs were distinctly worse in Australia than in other countries, we, we wouldn't put up with it. I don't understand. I am told, and I'm sure you'll talk about this, I'm told that the shitty flavour of Australian Cadbury's is to do with some anti-melting agent, which uh, is evidently not necessary, because there's UK, Swiss and New Zealand chocolate right next to it in, in the supermarket. Clearly it doesn't have to be there. And yet half the aisle in that supermarket is filled with this worse version of Cadbury's. Why? It's, it's not even cheap. There is yummy, yummy Whitakers on the bottom shelf. There gets one little bit. It's often the same price and yet no one buys it. The only thing that Australian Cadbury's has going for it is that it's not as shit as American chocolate. But the bar, the bar, should be much higher. My question is, why do, we, why do we not only put up with it, but why do we love this advent calendar standard shite? Surely we are smart enough to know better. Do you see what I did there? As I'm sure you can tell, Drew has some very strong opinions about Cadbury's chocolate. Now, in my travels around the world, I too have noticed that chocolate of certain brand names changes wherever you are. Now, I don't necessarily agree with Drew that Australian Cadbury's is inferior, but it's most definitely different to UK Cadbury's. And I wanted to know why. I went out and asked a few people, did a bit of an unscientific self-reporting survey, and I got a few interesting answers. Drew said he'd heard that there was maybe some sort of anti-melting agent, maybe some sort of preservative put into Australian Cadbury's. I'd even heard that they take out all the animal fats and replace it with vegetable oil in the milk, supposedly. I also heard that the, the shiny layer that you see on top of the chocolate comes from wax, and this holds it all together and also reduces the taste. I heard lots of weird and wonderful ideas about why Australian Cadbury's taste different to normal, normal, to UK Cadbury chocolate. Being a science, ignorance and comedy podcast, or at least the satellite version of that podcast, I knew that I needed to get some better answers than what people thought. So I knew that I had to turn to our bastion of science, TV's Dr. Joel Gilmore, molecular gastronomer, to find out some answers. Welcoming back to the podcast, it's me, Greg Wah, <laughs> welcoming, that was a weird way of saying, hello to TV's Dr. Joel Gilmore. Hey. Thank you, thank you. G'day, Greg. Hey, Joel, how are you? I'm very well. Now, Joel, I have a serious question for you. Do yes. you like chocolate? Yes, I love chocolate and I consume vastly more than is A, good for me and B, probably sustainable for the planet. But never mind that. <laughs> ah, there's always planet B. We're fine. Wait, there's no planet B. I don't know anyone who doesn't like chocolate. I've never met someone who says I don't like chocolate, which um, there must be something to that. It must be because it was designed by alien masters to control human beings or something weird like that. <laughs> it must be. It's a universally loved foodstuff. 
Though I just know that a listener right now is going, well, I hate chocolate, actually. So You're going to get some angry emails tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that's right. From their sad and deprived <laughs> fingers. That's why their emails are so angry. <laughs> that's right. Eat more chocolate. Can you tell me something interesting about chocolate? If you get down to some of the nitty gritty of the chemistry, which is really just applied physics of chocolate, <laughs> there is an awful lot of similarities between tempering steel, making good, strong steel, and making chocolate. Mm. In that. Well, hang on, what? Whoa, 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 what? Say, <laughs> like a chocolate sword sort of thing. Oh, man, that would be just the most delicious battle ever. <laughs> Yeah, so both chocolate and steel and many, many other things are crystals. And Hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just say chocolate's a crystal and let me and expect me to walk away from it. Chocolate's <laughs> chocolate's not a crystal, it's it's like a gooey mass. Well, and, and here comes the dilemma of anyone who's ever tried to work with chocolate and make it, is that chocolate can actually form at, at least or exactly six different types of crystals. Crystals form whenever you have molecules that are very regular, sort of like Lego bricks, effectively. Most fats like butter and oil, those molecules are very long and complicated. They're all very different, different lengths. They don't form crystals very well. But chocolate butter, the the, the fat in chocolate, has this very regular shape. Most use three component bricks to make these lovely regular molecules and they can fit together in beautiful shapes if you prepare it right. Most of the chocolate that we buy, if you go and buy a block of chocolate, it has been tempered in temper, good tempered chocolate, which means <laughs> that it has this lovely crack and snap. Oh, right. So that's, that's got to do with its, its physical makeup. Yeah, exactly. It is literally all those Lego bricks, those underlying molecules, are stacked in these beautifully neat patterns, and they're really rigid and well-formed. Okay, right. So we have these crystals. Does that add to the flavour or the the texture beyond cracking it? It doesn't add to the flavour necessarily, in the purest sense, except insofar as that texture in your mouth is very important for your experience of Mm. chocolate. Mm. Mouthfeel. Indeed. I love that expression of mouthfeel. It's the most sexy science word I've ever heard or science saying. Oh, it had excellent mouthfeel. You're like, oh, I don't know if we'd be aroused or disgusted at this point. Both. (laughs) Ah, you know my love life. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, moving on. (laughs) I just want to comment here about our special relationship, Greg. (laughs) It's all science and above board. These crystals mean that it cracks, it breaks in a certain way, and it gives a certain mouthfeel. Yeah, that's right. And it has some very practical applications. It looks shiny. looks shiny because it's got that lovely, smooth surface. And the great thing is that the crystals that we look for in a well-tempered chocolate melt at about 32 degrees. Ooh, that's, now, that's close to body temperature. Exactly. Aha, yay, science, human temperatures. Uh, I know human temperature. <clears throat> that's right. I am and one. Be- because it's so close and because these crystals are so well-formed, they melt very slowly, which means you can hold it in your hand, even though technically your fingers are probably above 32 degrees. Mm. You know, they're at the ends of the body. They're only very close, so it doesn't melt in your hand. When you put it in your mouth and you've got that little bit of extra moisture and focused heat, it then slowly melts and releases all those wonderful flavours and you get the chocolate in your mouth but not on your hands. A, a product has used that as their as their catch cry. That's right. It's, but, but it's all chocolate. What you're saying is they're liars. You're calling out a multinational company and calling them liars. It's like a bottled water company saying our water is deliciously wet. <laughs> uh, I mean, technically true, yes. But it's the same as everyone's. That's one of the most amazing things about chocolate for me is putting it in my mouth and it's well, training myself not just to gobble it down like a delicious meal. It's put a piece in your mouth and let it sit there and melt and enjoy the sensation of this thick chocolate going all over my mouth. Oh, it's, oh I'm just, I'm very excited right now. I'm not even eating it. 
And I think like I don't quite have the refined palate, despite the amount of chocolate I've eaten, but professional chocolate tasters and chocolatiers should be able to detect all of those underlying flavours, the different acidities and alkalinities in the beans, the vanilla that might be added, all the, the spices, anything else that goes into that chocolate will slowly be released as it melts. It sounds amazing. I just, oh. How do you actually change the makeup of chocolate to make it melt properly in the mouth? If you've ever tried to make, say, chocolate-dipped strawberries, you know, your standard procedure would be you take your chocolate, you put it on the stove, you melt it, yep. and then you dip your strawberries in and well, you leave actually, them. I'll, I'll just stop you there. What happens is I, I take my chocolate, I put it into a pot, I melt it, I then eat it with a spoon, gobbling it down until I regret all my life choices and my friends and loved ones find me lying, crying on the kitchen floor saying, oh, God, it's happened again. How does that make you feel, Greg? Well, not good at the well, not good after, <laughs> at the time. It's amazing, but then, but then they find with their pants on, covered in chocolate, and it's the whole thing. Ugh. And yet, if you've got to go, what a way! Yes, you you melt chocolate in a pot, and then you whack in a piece of fruit, and then you throw yep. the fruit away, and you eat the chocolate. That's right, yep. because the fruit, this what you thought would be this crunchy chocolate outside, is actually soft. You know, you put it in the fridge to harden, you take it out, and it just melts. It doesn't yeah. stick well, because that heating you did destroyed all of the good kind of crystals. Oh, what? And oh. As, it, as it tries to solidify, all those Lego bricks just kind of go back in any random order. They're not a nice ordered crystal. They're just this mess, like a box of Lego. And like a box of Lego, you pour it out and it all comes out. You step on it and you die. <laughs> Just like chocolate. Just like chocolate. <laughs> so how, how, I don't think, maybe you can't answer this. Maybe it's something I have to look up. But sometimes when I'm feeling extra decadent, I go buy some ice magic and, and whatever the brand name is in your country is, it's this chocolate syrupy stuff that you put on ice cream and you pour it all over and it goes solid and it goes, and then you can crack it and it's like, arr, arr, arr. it's a way of getting more chocolate in my face with ice cream. It's amazing. So actually, that's a, that's a really good example. Now, I'll probably screw up all of the basic ideas, but the general idea is... That's that, why um, we got you. <laughs> that's right. So ice magic, you can make your own out of coconut oil Ooh. because coconut oil, a bit like chocolate, forms crystals, mm -hmm. or at least it turns to a solid mm -hmm. at low temperatures, certainly, you know, zero degrees ice cream temperature, and I think like five or 10 degrees is its melting point. Uh -huh. And if it's thin enough, it's got stuff in it the right way, it forms quite a nice crackly yes. crystal. It's quite ordered. Okay. There we go. That's that. Oh, so you've explained ice magic to me. You, you've, you've, you've added more magic to my ice magic experience. I yeah. love with my ice magic. It's been so cold here in Perth. Well, cold for Australia. So getting down to like 10 degrees you know, Celsius, five degrees. And I went and had some late night ice cream put and got my ice magic out. Was like blah, 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 blah. And, put, and then it was like, a, a, not a solid lump, but it was this, it didn't come squirt out. It kind of congealed. It was like, blog. Oh, because it was too cold. It was obviously going into a harder phase and it was solidifying. So I had to microwave it. And yeah. then my, and then my, and then my uh, kitchen smelt of burning chocolate and it was a whole deal. It was like 11 o'clock at night and it was great. Uh, but it, <laughs> just, you know, there you go, listeners. And the fire brigade alive, arriving again at Greg another time with the. That's right. Once again, no pants, covered in chocolate, sobbing in the kitchen, like all my nights now end. All right. So uh, which, you can change, see, by adding different uh, materials, you can change the melting point of chocolate. Yeah, that, that is exactly yeah, very true. So, for example, milk chocolate that has those extra milk proteins and liquid in it tends to have a slightly lower melting point. Right. Okay. Only slightly, but it, it, it is there. So if you're tempering chocolate, if you want to get these good kind of crystals, it's all about temperature. Oh. Even though I think that the temper and temperature are sort of slightly divergent routes. But anyway, the... <laughs> it is it's about temperature. So you have to melt the chocolate to a very specific temperature where the good crystals will form and the bad crystals won't. Oh, my goodness. So, so for dark chocolate, Right. It's so like chocolatiers are the most incredibly experimentally minded people. So for dark chocolate, it's about 32 degrees Celsius you have to get your chocolate to. So usually what happens is that you melt the chocolate till it, all the crystals are gone, you cool it down a little bit, and then you add some well-tempered chocolate that you haven't melted. And 
that chocolate acts as like seed crystals and it sets off a chain reaction. And as you stir it, it slowly spreads out and turns into perfectly tempered chocolate. You dip your strawberries in and if you did everything right, then you get through to the next round of MasterChef. <laughs> is it just cocoa? Is it just like one type of cocoa? Or is, is, is cocoa like a whole lot of different sorts of cocoa? Ultimately, this all comes from cocoa beans that have been fermented and roasted and gone through this whole cycle. There are many different ways of doing that, mm. which produce different quality of beans, quality of chocolate. So like those really fine chocolates, they might have sought out beans they thought would produce a particularly good flavour and be prepared particularly meticulously. It's more expensive, but generally better chocolate. I've seen red velvet cakes and they're red, but is that just flavoring in the cake or is that like something going on? Like, is that, is that actually the cocoa itself or the chocolate or is it, what's up with those? Red velvet cakes today all have red food coloring in mm, it mm. and it's just called red velvet. And what a great name. It means you can sell a chocolate cake for twice the price. <laughs> um, and if it's wedding red velvet cake, it's like four times the price. Yeah. It's otherwise indistinguishable for a taste. So the question is, why does red velvet cakes exist? Mm. And there is one origin story that previously the cocoa that we used was a very raw cocoa. It was actually acidic. And apparently when you mixed it with the uh, vinegar and other acids that went into a red velvet cake, it acted as like a acid base indicator and it turned red. Mm. Oh, okay. So this sort of combination of cocoa and acids and baking baking powder is well anyway the the combination of all these things produced a slightly red cake but most most cocoa powder you buy now has been dutch processed does that mean hang on let me guess that means that they process it on a slight angle just like a like a so so you're like you're watching that's that's a good joke if you understand filming techniques everyone that's actually a very clever joke thank you dr joel for laughing uh because dutch angles it's like a european thing about Turning, and you know what's really great when you have to explain a joke, a visual joke on a podcast uh, about a visual medium. Yep. Yeah, I find re- explaining a joke really helps to yeah. drive it home. That's... Yeah, okay, I'll move on now, or you should mm. move on quickly. Save me, save me. <laughs> um, I don't, where, where were we? <laughs> Dutch, Dutch angles, oh, and Dutch cakes. Oh, Dutch angles. So, Dutch angles is a filming technique where you have the camera. <laughs> Don't you, don't you mock me, TV's Dr. Joel Gilmore. Dutch process is this thing that you can do to cocoa and make it actually alkaline. And it changes the flavours, makes it a bit more mellow, Ooh. darker in colour. And it means that this old method of, of red velvet cake no longer works. If indeed it ever did work. Oh, so you think, you, you're saying chocolate conspiracy. Is that what you're, you're getting at? Yeah, sort of there's like the, the rival camp of velvet cake historians, red velvet cake historians, who suggest that maybe it always had red colouring in, or maybe they just sucked at identifying colours in those days because <laughs> brown sugar was apparently, and I haven't found an original citation of this, but apparently it was called red sugar. What's the most surprising thing about chocolate to you? The thing that when you've been studying it and working with it and, and just cooking it at home, What's the thing that made you go, oh, my goodness, that's incredible? I would go the historical route for Mm. chocolate, Mm. which is that in those, you know, ancient South American times, chocolate looked nothing like the chocolate we had now. It Mm. was this bitter drink made from the beans with no sugar, but with some spices. And it was still, like, prized above anything else. The beans were... You know, traded and valued. Mm. And now our chocolate is completely different, particularly you get like milk chocolate, which is just completely at the other end of the scale <laughs> and yet is still so highly prized. Mm. I get very angry when I go to shops and I see white chocolate. No, not milk chocolate, white chocolate. And you go, no, no, that's white confectionery. If you, if you, can, if you are not allowed to call champagne or sparkling white wine uh, champagne, because it doesn't come mm. from the Champagne region. You should not be allowed to call this white confectionery garbage white chocolate. They have nothing to do with each other. They, 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 you take her uh, very in the way. Well, the only thing they have in common is that it uses the cocoa butter from the cocoa bean. It just doesn't have the flavour in it. But, so is this? St- oh, wait, am I wrong? Is it still actually chocolate? 
Well, look, I wouldn't call it chocolate, but it does use, um, effectively, when you make cocoa powder, mm. you extract out the butter, the fat from the chocolate, and powder becomes this concentrated chocolate flavour, and that butter goes into either enriching exist, you know, normal chocolate, mm. making curvature chocolate. Real chocolate, yes. Real chocolate. Or it goes into sham beauty products. Um <laughs> It's very expensive, like this butter. That's why cheap chocolate, they extract out just a little bit of the fat because you can sell it for much, much more to suckers who will put it on their face. And... Oh, I've seen that. I've seen cocoa butter I mean, as a beauty product. That's actually mm-hmm. real-life cocoa. That's a real thing. That's not yeah. just a name. That's actually cocoa bean butter. It's cocoa bean butter. It really is. It's the fat extracted out. So it's vegetable oil. You're putting vegetable oil on your face. Yeah, yeah, literally, yeah. Because yeah. there's no animals. There's not, like, not like a chocolate pig or something like that that they're squeezing into a vat, macerating. No, although that might be delicious, but no. Um, <laughs> so it is, it's purely just that, that, that cocoa butter, it's called, but the, the fat from the chocolate. I'm now actually wondering, because I've seen you, you can glaze roasts. People put, like, honey glazes on roasts and pork. Could you have, like, chocolate pork? Is that is that... Is that a thing? Is that is that a thing? Have I created a thing? Am I going to be very rich? <laughs> Mexico has chocolate chicken, uh, chocolate in in a lot of the savory dishes. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, I, guess I want that... to say mole, but someone should write an angry letter if I've got that wrong tomorrow. You can't. What, what is what is mole? I I think that's like the the Spanish. Um, oh, that's the dish. Oh, sorry, Mexican rather. Sorry, not Spanish. Mexican, yes, chocolate. Oh, wow, it makes sense though, because once again, you've got the you've got the saltiness, and you've got the, the 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 what's it called, the umami kind of the meaty flavor, and then on the other side, you've got the the chocolatey sweetness, and it all fits together. And as a vegetarian, I'm very offended and really wish I could eat it because it sounds amazing. <laughs> well, now you've just got to find the vegetarian equivalent. How can you use that chocolate sauce on? Oh, you know, it's human meat. It's it's just human flesh. It's, well, they call it long pork. There's a reason they call it long pork. <laughs> so, you know, I, I have a problem with farming, farming of animals, but I haven't got a problem with farming. No, no. <laughs> We're not farming humans. They're free range. They've had a good life. They just walk into the wrong park and spear it to the head. They didn't suffer at all at any moment. It's fine. You're humane to the last grade. I am. I am. And with that bombshell, I think, Dr. Joel, I think we should let you go. And get an alibi so you can, the police will know where you are at all times. Thank you very much for talking to me all about the science of chocolate. No, thank you. Fantastic to have a chat. Looking forward to hearing the experience from the chocolatiers. Thank you, Dr. Joel. Uh, we'll, we'll talk again very soon. Great. I look forward to catching up. Even with all those interesting facts from TV's Dr. Joel Gilmore, we're still not any closer to working out why Australian Cadbury's taste different to UK Cadbury's. Maybe we didn't need a molecular gastronomer. Maybe we needed to go talk to a chocolatier. And so, bravely, I ventured forth to the chocolate-making areas of the world to ask chocolatiers their most innermost secrets. Please welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. Hello, Caitlin. Hi, how's it going? Good, thank you. Can you please tell our lovely listeners who you are and why you might be invited to this podcast called Food of the Gods? My name's Caitlin. I am a chocolatier. I've been a chocolatier for five and a half years and I own a business called 31 Degrees Custom Chocolates. Uh, So I am quite involved in the whole chocolate thing. Really all about taking really high quality cuvatures from all around the world and turn them into all sorts of delicious treats. There we go. And there's so many things we have to unpack there. Things like yes. 31 degrees and, and cuvatures, all these words. I'm like, hang on a minute, what does that mean? Chocolate is just something I buy in a bar from, from a supermarket. So yes. I'm a terrible person, I'm sorry to say, but uh, you are a proper chocolatier, which sounds like yes. 
I'm going to say the best job in the world. Is that would that be correct? Look, as far as jobs go, it's pretty great. Whenever I get to write it down on any official forms that I'm a chocolatier, it uh, always makes me quite happy to be able to do that. <laughs> do people question it? Do people go, no, 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 you're not a you, no? That's not like, a thing. Like, is this an actual job? Oh yes. my god! <laughs> yes, that's right. it's like, like, come on now, we all just eat chocolate and smear it on our faces. That doesn't make yeah, you a chocolatier. It's got to come from somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask the basic question: What? is chocolate. What is chocolate? There's a few different things really that chocolate could be because a lot of people have different ideas about what actually constitute as chocolate. Mm. Me being a chocolatier, my trade is in couvertures, which I mentioned before. So a couverture is generally a word for sort of used as a catch-all for a really high quality chocolate, but technically it's a chocolate that's got a higher proportion of cocoa butter in it. Uh, Some people, you know, think of chocolates as a bar of Cadbury's or like a Mars bar or, you know, just sort of an Easter egg sort of thing. Mm. And they're... All those terrible, terrible All those other ones. Terrible (laughs) advent, you know, stuff you get from advent calendars and you eat it and you're like, I think this is chocolate. I don't know. Am I being punished for Christmas? What's going on? You kind of are. That's the kind of chocolate (laughs) that's called... (laughs) It's kind of chocolate called compound chocolate. So in chocolate, the main fat that's in chocolate is cocoa butter. Uh, When you have a really high quality chocolate, the only fat that's in there is cocoa butter. In order to make uh, chocolate cheaper, because cocoa butter is the most expensive part of the chocolate, you take out some or all of the cocoa butter and replace it with a hydrogenated vegetable oil. Mm. Um, so that's mm. when you eat a really uh, a really like low-quality chocolate or a really cheap chocolate and it leaves that waxy feeling inside your mouth. Mm-hmm. That's literally because the fat melts above your body temperature compared to cocoa butter, which means melts below your body temperature, so you get that really beautiful, smooth and creamy texture out of it. Oh, my goodness. So that's, that's the big difference there. So chocolate itself sort of encompasses a wide range of things mm-hmm. and then it just really depends who you talk to, to what they call they call chocolate so where did it come from is is it something that's been around forever is it something human beings have been consuming by the truckload for all of time for a pretty significant amount of time actually the first chocolate that was really discovered was from about six and a half thousand years ago um, and that yeah so cocoa (laughs) has been consumed in south america um for a really quite significant amount of time. And there it was generally that they would take the cocoa beans, blend it, um, grind it down, and then blend it with different spices and then consume it as a drink. Mm. So that's really where it came from. And like then coffee, obviously like when... A, so it's a chocolate like, drink. You mean like yes, a, how yeah. Did, how did their civilization ever get off the ground? If it, all you could do is just... I mean, drinking that, chocolate. Drinking chocolate. I mean, oh my goodness. It's, It wasn't really the sort of like a hot chocolate that you would think of traditionally. Like there's a lot of heavy spices in there and it wasn't sweet, Mm, Uh, not sweet in the way that we have it. You know, they would sometimes add in, you know, various sweeteners that they had around like, you know, honey and all those sorts of things. But it wasn't until the Spanish came into South America and then took uh, cocoa back to Spain and then they were drinking it there in the same way and then it was happening around the same same time as the sugar trade. So that's when they started being put together. So, yeah, so that's when it started becoming a sweeter drink. You can imagine, I'm just thinking now, when they first brought it back to, to to Europe, the Spanish, I mean, and they, and they're like they're, all the older people were drinking their bitter chocolate, and then the young, cool people were like, "Hey, man!" Yeah, they were like, "Yeah, throw some sugar, sugar in." in they're like, "You young millennials, or whatever they called them back then, wouldn't be millennials. That'd be really weird to call someone from the some 16th century millennials, I guess." But uh, <laughs> that'd be very, but yeah, they're like, "You can't put sweet. No, you got to have it bitter and angry. You got to have it strong. Yeah, yes, I like my Absolutely. chocolate strong." <laughs> And then, and then, yeah, there was a bunch of discoveries after that by, you know, a whole bunch of different pastry chefs and things about blending the sugar and the chocolate together. When they discovered how to dry milk powder, that was when that was added in, you know, oh. starting to get milk chocolate in there. Rudolf Lindt, he was the one who left his grinder going for too long and ended up grinding his chocolate for a really long time and... You know, this, really. All oh, right, this is this is the secret of lint chocolate, is it? Yeah, they you know they have a really long history in chocolate oh. making, as a lot of you know really early discoveries for what you traditionally think of as chocolate. So yeah, you know all these big names have been around for a while. Okay, I'm going to admit something right now. I don't actually like lint chocolate that much. Uh, I will I will eat it I will eat it if I need to you know like as in I'm I'm stuck and with no chocolate for a couple of days I'll, I'll and then you've just got to have what's there <laughs> yes that's right at work people because people give you stuff at work and they give you lint chocolate and I'm always like 
Oh, thanks. And I always go, and I always think, I always wonder, is it because I'm not, is it, I'm more used to more modern chocolate and it's an older style, therefore I want it sweeter because, you know, I'm a terrible Gen Xer with, with terrible taste or something. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, the best sort of chocolate is the one that you enjoy eating. So oh, when like, it comes down to it. <laughs> oh, thank you, Caitlin. We like you. You can stay. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever sort of chocolate you want to get your hands on. It'll work. <laughs> Especially if it comes from 31 degrees chocolate in That's Brisbane. 100% it. <laughs> so it came from South America. The South Americans yes. were, were farming cocoa beans and, mm-hmm. and turning into a, like a, a, a very bitter drink, were you saying? Is that correct? It wasn't like a hot chocolate mm. sort of drink. It was, yeah, very much just a, yeah, the cocoa beans, ground cocoa beans and spices. So, yeah, more of like a spice drink than... Mm. Than like a hot chocolate. And so they took it to Europe. And then when mm-hmm. do they start going, I know we won't make it a drink. We'll make it a solid thing to hold in my hand and transport around. I believe it was in the early 1800s. That's when sort of chocolate traditionally sort of started being made as chocolate rather than as a drink. As a drink. Um, okay. Just because there was technological advances and things that made them able to be able to turn it into a chocolate bar, able to grind the chocolate down, grind the cocoa down further and adding the sugar, adding the milk powder to be able to come up with what we know as chocolate. As modern chocolate. What sort of chocolates yeah. are there? I mean, what's, are there different categories of chocolate? I go to shops and I think of there's like dark chocolate and then there's milk chocolate and that's all I really know. Uh- <laughs> There's really, I mean, there's three broad categories of chocolate, really. There's dark milk and white chocolate. Mm -hmm. So dark chocolate is made from cocoa beans. So that's a cocoa solid. So what you think of as chocolatey taste, Mm -hmm. uh, the cocoa butter and sugar. And that's pretty much the only ingredients that really go in there. (laughs) To get the milk chocolate then, you add in your milk powder. Mm -hmm. To get white chocolate, you take out the cocoa solids and you've got the cocoa butter, the sugar and the milk powder. So white chocolate is chocolate oh, <laughs> oh no i feel bad i now. went there yes i went i was oh no okay it is chocolate it's a chocolate product it has it has cocoa butter in there it comes from the cocoa bean it's a chocolate product oh. uh, so i will stand by that and white chocolate is also delicious <laughs> so <laughs> and i will defend it to the hilt okay so it is definitely still chocolate then okay yes. I, feel, I do feel bad i do malign it I, I i'm one of those people i used to go well actually you know push well my, actually yes we'll push my glasses <laughs> up on now okay now i will stop that immediately that's fair enough it's one of those things where people, when you have really nice white chocolate, mm-hmm. you can go, oh, this is why people like it. When you have the really cheap white chocolates, generally they just taste sweet. Mm. And that's pretty much it. There's not really any complexity to them. But if you get a really nice white chocolate that's, you know, used a higher quality milk powder or used, you know, a different sort of sugar or used a better quality cocoa butter, mm. you can you know, really start to appreciate all the, you know, nuances of it is not just sweet. And a lot of white chocolate, because cocoa butter is so expensive, that's the first thing that gets taken away. Mm. So that's when you start getting compound white chocolate, which is just super unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what most people think of when they think of white chocolate, because that's mostly what they've been exposed to. Mm. So, Mm. but yeah, if you get a really nice white chocolate, That'll change your mind about it. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. I will have to try this. I will. I'm happy to be wrong about things. That's perfectly fine. So, what's the most surprising thing about chocolate to you? What's the thing that, as you, as a chocolatier, that you do or know that other people have no idea about? The most interesting thing that I find about chocolate is. I love single origins. I love them. So the same way that people talk about coffees or wines, mm. um, this is chocolate that's made from beans from a single area. Oh. And so depending, yeah, so depending <laughs> where the the cocoa beans grow and the type, the variety of the tree is going to taste drastically different from one area to another. Huh. So the cocoa grows in a band of around twenty degrees around the equator. So it's very much a tropical a tropical fruit. Mm. And the vast majority of the chocolate that we eat, the cocoa comes from West Africa, so namely uh, Côte d'Ivoire and Ghana. So something like 65 to 70% of the world's cocoa comes from those two countries. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's a massive, massive trade there. So when you think of, 
you know, sort of that taste of chocolate, mm. that's West African cocoa. The rest of um, the cocoa, the next biggest producer is actually Indonesia. So they're the next biggest cocoa growers. And then it's places like Vietnam, Mexico, Venezuela. And they're the different places that, you know, all the cocoa grows. Mm. And obviously, in each of those different places, they've got different soil. There's different minerals in the water. There's different, you know, temperatures there. So the cocoa themselves is going to taste very different. Oh, so, when when the uh, chocolatiers or the ch- chocolate makers get a hold of those beans and then they roast them, they can then, you know, pull out all the different flavor profiles that are in there. So you can end up with some really interesting chocolates just by using beans from different places. So my, I have family members who are really, really into wine. In fact, they want yeah. to become, they when, when they retire in inverted commas, they want to start a, a boutique winery, like actually have oh, fantastic. vines. And, and they talk about, you know, upper tones and lower tones and back of the mouth feel and and, yep. and, they, and now are you saying that chocolate is the same as absolutely in, oh my goodness so you absolutely 100 percent. so you can say are, are you are you big into the idea of like you can't call that chocolate it's actually called sparkling confectionery or something like that no. unless it comes from the chocolate region of ghana or like it's no 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 thankfully we're we don't go about it in that way there is a chocolate tasting wheel the same way that you get you know the chocolate uh, the coffee or the wine tasting world where you can talk about it being tannic or sweet or herbaceous. And so you can actually use that wheel to describe the chocolate from all these different places, you know, in broad sense, West African co- uh, cocoa is really that sort of chocolatey, cocoa taste. Chocolate out of South America tends to be, super broadly speaking, tend to be quite fruity. And then chocolate out of, or cocoa out of Asia tends to be kind of spicy. Um, so, yeah, so that's in super, super broad terms, of course, but you can really start to describe chocolate in a different way rather than just being it tastes like chocolate. It's, so it's, now imagining you standing with lots of other chocolatiers with a, a blind test of chocolate and you pick them up, put them in your mouth and you go, ah, oh, yes, definitely a Ghana chocolate. I can tell. <laughs> it was on the west, grown on the west hand side of the hill. It was a, a yep. good year. I mean, is, that, is it that level? Not quite that level. I'm sure that there are, I'm sure that there are, you know, chocolate makers and chocolatiers out there that do have that, you know, fidelity of taste. I don't know that I am one of them, but it is, yeah, it's definitely like, it's a, one of the biggest industries in the world, you know, you know, chocolate and confections. It's, that's fascinating. you know, huge. So yeah. So there are people in there that do get down to that, you know, intense level of detail, but yeah, it is, it does make it really interesting because it, then it's not just, it turns it from, you know, like, oh, Mars bars are high pr- half price when I'm checking out, you know, the shops <laughs> into something that is actually quite complex and is really interesting and, you know, is a bit more of an experience to, to eat and enjoy. It makes it, yeah, a bit more of a, a bit more of a fun thing to play with. Now we've had the fun, just be a little bit dark for a second. Is there, sure. a, is there a problem? The countries you named, uh, like Ghana and, and mm-hmm. sometimes can have issues, I'm going to say. Uh, and uh, is, is that an issue with chocolate production? As is, is the, are the people being treated well who produce the chocolate? It's, there are so, there's so much wrapped up in the cocoa trade. Mm. So the, in, in, Ghana. I've been to Ghana myself, mm-hmm. um, and so that's what I know sort of most about there. There is the cocoa trade. There is pretty much one of the biggest industries there. There's mm-hmm. oil, there's gold, there's cocoa, um, wow. and that's yeah, <laughs> and that's what they do in Ghana. The average size of a cocoa plantation is four hectares, so it's not very big. It's mm-hmm. sort of the size that a single family can work. And so obviously the whole family gets involved in that. Cocoa itself is a very intensive crop to grow and, you know, it does have to be looked after very carefully in order to get an amount of cocoa that's worth selling can be quite difficult. For a a 64 kilo bag of of cocoa beans, Mm -hmm. um, it's about 174 US dollars is the sort of current price for it. Yes. So that's, that's sort of the prices that the farmers are getting. So each hectare of cocoa you know, the cocoa plantation can get four to 500 kilos of cocoa out of it. Mm -hmm. So that gives, and then you can do a harvest sort of twice a year. So that gives you a bit of an idea of how much money the farmers are actually getting. Um, And that's, yeah. And that's pretty, pretty much the same in terms of prices around, Mm. around the world. It is certainly a difficult conversation for a lot of people to have Mm -hmm. to, to Mm. know that there is an element of human suffering in Mm in their cocoa and so that's why it's really important to go for brands that do luck after their farmers that do you know have that traceability all the way 
through that, you know, mm-hmm. that do have other programs in place to be able to support the farmers in order for them to have the best life that they possibly can, you know, Mm -hmm. increasing the dollar value of the cocoa itself, you know, may not have a huge impact, but making sure that the farmers have clean running water, Mm -hmm. access to healthcare, access to free education, you know, that goes a long way in making sure that their lives are, Mm -hmm. you know, that they've got as much of the resources as they possibly can. How can, so, yeah, the average, how can the average consumer, like myself, know if they're buying ethically sourced cocoa? There are a number of brands that do have a lot of traceability through all of their, their process. We, mm. use, we use Avarona, so they've got a lot of um, work that they've done on keeping everything, you know, supporting all the farmers, all those sorts of things. Barry mm. Calibo, they uh, have a few chocolate brands like Calibo, Cacao Barry. These are all sort of commercial brands. You know, they have the same sort of programs for their farm you know looking for things like uh fair trade yeah they're all they're all ways to you know really make sure that you're buying cocoa that benefits the farmer in the best possible way so for the the average consumer nowadays with the the power of the internet you can look up mr google and find fair trade chocolate pretty easily i'm assuming absolutely absolutely yeah so so be aware consumers listeners lovely listeners be aware of the chocolate you're buying maybe just do a bit of research into your favorite block and see or not just block your favorite piece your favorite chocolatier and uh and see the the facts behind it i guess yeah absolutely absolutely and there's so much information out there about it all so it's very easy to find and most of the uh big companies are very transparent with the way that they source their cocoa so yeah so it is it's yeah it's a very interesting thing to to look into now let's get on to the really dark serious stuff let's get really dark really serious i want to talk about the the, the greatest lie that i was ever they ever put in front of me and that sure. is, it's it's a five letter word that that I, I i'm very angry to say and that is the word carob <laughs> now sometimes <Yes. laughs> sometimes i go to a party and someone says oh i've got some lovely chocolate and they put chocolate on the table you go, Ooh, I'll have some ch-. and you reach down and you put it in your mouth and it's not chocolate it's, it's not chocolate, it's carob. It's carob, <laughs> as in the liar of the chocolate set. I'm angry about carob. What are your take? What is carob? And why do people pretend that it's even vaguely like chocolate? And, 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 and I'm very angry. <laughs> carob is an entirely different plant to, to chocolate. Mm. It just so happens that it has a similar taste profile. Um, no. <laughs> and so it can be used as a similar uh, taste profile. So it it's can like be saying used a cat and dog are the bacteria. same because they've got four legs. I well, up... you know, they're both animals <laughs> yes. in the same way. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, it just it's one of those things that just so happens to have the same sort of taste and in air quotes, it's healthier. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, we ha- I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who often ask me about, you know, different percentages of chocolates and things and which is the healthiest. Mm. And pretty much what I say to them is it's chocolate, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so there's not really a way to make it healthier as such. And so, yeah, so that's sort of where, where they're trying to aim things with carob. I don't think they've ever really succeeded. <laughs> Good. I'm not very big on that. <laughs> I very much, if you're going to have chocolate, have chocolate, have yes. something good, have yeah. something tasty, enjoy it. Yep, exactly. I'm glad. Yeah. Okay, fine. We're still friends. That's okay. That's great. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. <laughs> now, why is your store called 31 Degrees? Does that mean you're 31 people away from everyone else that you've sold from? Or that, that yes, absolutely. Like six degrees of yes, bacon. that's right. <laughs> Um, you're not so, as famous. You're not as famous as Kevin Bacon, but you're, you're not. That's why you're, I need is. That's why I need so many degrees in order right. for people to link back to me. <laughs> the when you're working with chocolate, you need to take it through a series of temperatures in order for it to set correctly. So that's when you're talking about tempering chocolate. Mm-hmm. Say way that you temper steel, glass, you know, or mm-hmm. those sorts of things. You're trying to get it to set in a particular crystalline formation. Mm-hmm. Take it through a series of temperatures in order to get the right crystals to form. For dark chocolate specifically, you work with it at 31 degrees. Ah. So, ah. yeah, so dependent on the type of chocolate, it's anywhere between 29 and 32 degrees, but that makes it a bit long for a business name, so mm. thought I'd cut it down. <laughs> and people won't know anyway. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> What's the most surprising chocolate you've ever made or worked with? And what I mean by that is nowadays I've noticed it's, it's things like you go, oh, we put in we put in like five alarm chili into this chocolate, or we've put in <laughs> we put in pork, and or we put in, <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on? Like, like these are all interesting flavor combinations. 
I have actually done a maple bacon chocolate before, so. <laughs> what, what, it was okay. How does that work? How does that even a thing? Like, is it because, well, it seems like, how does, as a chocolatier, what made you go, I'm going to make this thing, and why does that work for people? Well, there's a big thing about that sweet and salty. That's a, been a very big sort of trend in the last, say, 10 years where people are really finding out how good salt is in <laughs> sweet context, which is amazing. It also is really, it's really great to sort of play on people's expectations as well about, you know, what you can do with chocolate. You know, it makes it, makes it fun. There's so, like I was saying before, with all the single origins, there's so many interesting sorts of chocolate out there. Why not see what can be done with them? And using sort of those more savory ingredients as well can be, you know, really delicious. I, I did a white chocolate and basil uh, a while oh, ago okay. <laughs> and it was delightful. It was okay. absolutely delightful. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, if you're going to have something like chocolate, mm. you may as well to see what can be done with it. It's such an interesting ingredient. There's so many different tastes to it that mm. it don't, just makes it a lot of fun to play with. <laughs> don't just have add milk and, and walk away sugar and yeah. walk away. Fair enough. <laughs> yes, basically. Now, I was approached by a listener of the podcast, and he's very angry about uh, a, a brand of chocolate. It's Cadbury's. We're gonna, we'll say the name. We're not sponsored by them. We're not against them. I eat the stuff. It's fine. Okay. I'm, I'm just, just it's, it exists. Okay. It's, it's mass produced. It's fine. And he's British. And he says that in his mind, British Cadbury's is far superior to Australian Cadbury's. Would you have any idea why there might be a difference between British Cadbury's and Australian Cadbury's and American Cadbury's? There could be a few different things at, play. I haven't looked at their ingredients list, so I mm -hmm. couldn't tell you 100%, you know, what their differences mm -hmm. are in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a few different things that could be going on. The first one, beans from a different place. Mm -hmm. Likelihood is they are going to be using much the same beans because Cadbury is obviously going to be buying theirs in huge bulk, but then being shipped to different places, it might be that it's better for, you know, uh, European Cabri to be buying it from West Africa and maybe Australian Cabri, maybe from like Indonesia. Mm -hmm. um, so there could be a difference in the beans themselves. Cabri tends to be milk chocolate in a way to make chocolate cheaper. You add in more sugar and you add in more milk powder mm -hmm. because then you're mm -hmm. using less chocolate. Um, <laughs> so that balance could be different as well. Also where they source their milk powder from. Uh -huh. um, so that's going to be very different as well. So it could just be the big difference in the different milk powders that they use um, because they're going to have different tastes as well. So yeah, so it's possibly a combination of all of those. And then yeah, the level of each of those ingredients that are in there too, in order to get approximately the same plate taste across all of them, you're going to have to, you know, have different uh, balances of each of the ingredients to make up for all those differences in taste. So yeah, so that would be why, you know, there would be Different tastes across tastes. there. Mm. Yeah. And then American American chocolate, they often think of Hershey's chocolate, and that has quite a sour taste uh, mm -hmm. to it because of the milk powder that they use. Most mm. other places don't like that particular taste, but Americans love it because that's what they've grown up on. And I was thinking, and with America especially, the only thing I could think of was we have sugar cane in Australia, beautiful, wonderful sugar cane. And, sugar cane. And, and in America, they use sugar beet, which is a sugar beets. far, yeah. far inferior sugar-producing <laughs> plant, but that's what they produce. That's what's there yeah so, so put it in, um, all I those guess. different differences yeah are yeah. going to you know sort of change the way the way that things taste now caitlin we have to finish up there thank you very much for your time if people want to taste your delicious chocolates where can they find you we you can be found in Woolongabba in brisbane mm -hmm. uh, for hubert street Woolongabba. we're also online at 31degrees.com.au Brilliant. Everyone, lovely listeners, buy all the chocolate from Caitlin and 31 Degrees. Thank you much, Caitlin, and uh, yes, your amazing knowledge on chocolate. Anytime. Always happy to talk chocolate. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Chocolatier Caitlin thinks the reason Australian Cadbury's may taste different to UK Cadbury's has to do with the materials used. There was only one way I could solve this once and for all, and that is go to the source itself and talk to someone at Cadbury's. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to procure an interview, but Australian Cadbury's very kindly answered my emails and said this. 
The recipe used in our chocolate blocks is the same worldwide. However, the flavor difference is mainly due to the raw materials being sourced from different parts of the world. And so there we are. There are no preservatives, there's no wax, there's no anti-melting agent, there's no vegetable oil over animal fats or vice versa. It's only to do with where they source their materials. But that's only the first part of Drew's question, why it tastes different. He also wanted to know, why do people eat it? Why do they put up with it? And that's a very, very different question, and one I found really interesting just by looking into grocery shelving around the world in different stores. Food on shelves is not just placed haphazardly. They put it in very specific places. They want you to pick one thing up and another thing up. For example, maybe something like alcohol and crisps. If you allow to you know, sell alcohol in your supermarkets, unlike in Australia where you're not, though we can sell it in a place we can drive up in a car in a drive through and just pick it up in your car. Australia, you crazy guy. Supermarkets are very careful about where they put their foodstuffs. One of the adages they commonly say is eye level is buy level. They want to put everything they want to sell at the right height so that you will see it and you will buy it. But that's not up to the supermarket necessarily. There's also a very, very, very big part of supermarkets called the slotting fee. Companies pay supermarkets lots of money to be at eye level, the buy level, in the supermarket. They also, if they pay enough money, get to crowd out their competitors or push them down below. And so at the start, when Drew was talking about Whittaker chocolate at his supermarket being right on the bottom, that's probably because, and this is just supposition I would like to say, that Whittaker's wasn't paying as much, as much money as other companies and was pushed much lower. They don't want to get rid of the competition. They want to say, hey, buy ours. It's cheaper or it's better or it's just more numerous. So you must have other choices, the illusion of choice. But really, the whole system is rigged to buy certain products who pay a lot of money. And I think that answers the question fully. Why does Cadbury's in Australia taste different to Cadbury's in the UK and Cadbury's in any other part of the world? Well, because they source the material from somewhere else. Why do people buy it? Because it's what they're used to, to start off with. We may not necessarily think it's better or worse. It's just what we buy. And also, eye level equals buy level. You're being manipulated to buy certain things. So maybe bend down and buy that Whittaker's chocolate or the other chocolate. By the way, we're not being sponsored by any of these companies. If they want to hand us lots of money, feel free. Get in contact at greg at smartenough.org. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, ladies and gentlemen. It was a lot of fun to do some real investigative journalism. <laughs> as much as our podcast does. If you have a question about the world around you, maybe you should also send in a voice memo and I'll do my best to answer it either here on Wild Wonders Why or on the main podcast. You can email me at greg at smartenough.org. I'd like to thank Caitlin from 31 Degrees Custom Chocolates for putting us right about chocolatiers and chocolate around the world. And of course, to TV's Dr. Joel Gilmore, molecular astronomer and accordion player. Now, with all of my research out of the way, there's only one more thing to do, and that's to reward myself with some lovely, delicious mm, chocolate. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Mm. 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 So good. <laughs>